The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian, Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Welcome back, everybody, as we uh, continue with Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. This is Hour 2. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki on the left and Henry Hatter on the right. Welcome back, guys. Always Thank you. And, uh, yes, of course, joining us this week, Politico Emeritus Woodrow Stanley. And thanks uh, to all of you for being part of uh, our conversation today. Um, let's see, where did we leave off? Let me uh, find my place in my notes here. Okay. Thanks to higher-than-expected tax revenues, robust consumer spending, and the initial wave of federal aid, Michigan's budget situation for the next fiscal year isn't quite as bad as predicted, the state's top financial officials determined Monday. In May, the Department of Treasury and the state House and Senate fiscal agencies predicted the state would need to fill a $3.1 billion budget shortfall for fiscal year 2021, which begins October 1st. Now officials are anticipating that shortfall will be less than $1 billion, but warned Michigan still isn't out of the woods when it comes to budget uncertainty due to the coronavirus pandemic. Does it concern you, as it does me, that the people estimating the budget shortfall were off by over two-thirds? Yes, it does. Yeah, that's Although, a concern, yeah. Although, again, with the whole coronavirus thing, we're really in uncharted yes. territory. So I'll give a little, maybe a little, little exception to that fact. But, yeah, it is quite surprising. And I, I, I give uh, Paul. I also support you on that. You, you can't predict things that you don't, that you have never dealt with before. And apparently, apparently the uh, school retail itself. sales bumped up more than they expected. Is, is that was that the factor that retail sales had picked up more than expected after we first got into the the, the, the crisis? I, I thought I saw that somewhere in one of those articles. I'm not sure. I didn't think yeah, that I don't it know was for sure. retail sales. Sure. 
the industrial Remember, activity think, and commercial activity is think, probably still down. Think I'll about think so. this. If if this were normal times and they were off by that number, this would be a headline um, point. It'd, it'd be a banner headline, would. Exactly. So so now because I mean, you know, yeah, we could we could criticize them and the like and no one wants to I'm sure they did, they didn't want to be off this number and I've met with those folks during my uh, time in Lansing many uh, many times when they would uh, brief us on their estimates and and the like. Uh so no one wants to be off uh this uh amount. But as has already been stated, look, some of this is you say it's an estimate, but it, it might be something of a guesstimate in some instances. Well, it's like uh, Woodrow when you were uh, when we were talking during the last hour, and you said that the uh, six hundred million dollar state settlement for the Flint water crisis um, would fall far short of of what the actual cost would be. Um, six hundred million wouldn't even cover the pipes. Right. And so right, we're yeah. we're just you know guessing at what these numbers are are uh, likely to be, um, but folded into that story as uh, Paul rightly pointed out is uh, the upside that um, that retail and American business didn't take as big a hit as they were anticipating. Thank God. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, Governor Gretchen Whitmer announced Thursday she has signed a series of bills aimed at addressing the significant concerns of educators and parents as students prepare to start a school year ravaged by the coronavirus pandemic. The move comes after legislative leaders worked with Whitmer on a compromise, arguing the bills give districts funding clarity and guidance on how to educate students in person or online this year. On Wednesday, Whitmer announced $65 million in federal aid would be made available to schools with a high percentage of economically disadvantaged students. The districts could use these funds to pay for computers or other items that would make virtual learning easier or for protective equipment if districts plan for face-to-face classes. The Michigan State Senate passed the bills on Saturday and the House passed them on Monday. Is this a sign that the freeze between the governor and the legislature is beginning to thaw? I hope so. Yeah, I was gratified. When I saw that, I was gratified that at least they could yeah. work together on some things. We, yeah. we needed to move in that direction. We need the more positive people getting these people to work together and, uh, and solve problems for the people rather than political problems, division. Well, well it is what it is, as uh, some, uh, somebody <laughs> said. <laughs> so what someone just said, but I would just remind everyone that this is a major political year. It's so I, I don't I don't mean that to say that folks should be given a pass on uh, their responsibility, but I do point that out as a practical um, bit of of. Uh, uh, of a point that it's it's a major um, political year, and so you expect that folks. It, it's it's harder to hammer out kind of of, of um, you know good compromises, and 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 remember 
the word compromise uh, is is not a not a good term in certain quarters now, nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> you don't use true. that word. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel yeah. I feel like the word, but it, it's not uh, in c- certain quarters in Lansing. You say compromise, you ask out of the uh, Parker's room. <laughs> I saw. Well, one of- and that's that's the only way that we'll solve our problems too. We got to learn to get back to compromise, just like you I, do with your agree. family I matters. Agree. You you have to like you with your wife. You have you can't have everything your way. Yeah, somehow we went from compromise being the goal to being the thing to be avoided at all costs. Yeah, exactly. I I heard one of the Republicans uh, speaking Monday night at the uh, convention who was uh, slamming the, the Democratic Party for wanting to create a um, socialist utopia. <laughs> and yeah, I right. thought, you know, I I think if I were proofreading that speech or chipping in on the, the writing of that speech, I don't think I would have used the word utopia. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I saw the same thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, you... You grab, you grab for, if you're on that side, you grab for as much as you can in hopes of scaring people. So that, that one is one. But let me ask, ask you a quick question. So when was the last time you heard an um, elected official use the word, particularly like in this convention site, um, use the word poor? When was the last time as a descriptive uh term for a sector uh, in in American society? Hmm. Core curriculum. Poor. Did, did you say oh, core? Poor. 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 Oh, poor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I could talk about that a lot. And uh, we need to stop uh, well, characterizing blacks as poor. Because you don't like that. And our leaders don't no, 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 talk when, about that. When was the last time you heard? When was the last time you heard someone in a speech? Either, I mean, if someone is is, is yeah, I'm just asking. I, you know, it just. I, I, just and I honestly, I honestly don't know yeah, any more I'm than I could tell you. Saying that would any more? I can't any more than I can tell you when I first heard the phrase "at risk." So, so do you think that there are no more poor people in America and they're all middle class? Because I do hear middle class no. a lot. No, yeah. you're, so, you're right. Uh, you're poor. So, and that's so some of the we, discussion. We don't have more poor people, I assume. That's, that's some of the discussions that I hear that people are upset about. Undereducated, underfunded, poor. Or at risk, like as, as Tom yeah, said. Yeah. Well, that's a, yeah. neat, that's a nice way to talk, talk about yeah. But people yeah. don't like to be characterized that way. And how did urban end up meaning black? <laughs> and and uh, no, I I appreciate the question that, that Wood is asking, because it would it would have been um, very normal to see the word poor used in a speech by the Roosevelts, sure, or yeah. Yeah. the Kennedys, yeah, and they would talk and, about empathy and help for the poor we hear it in religious uh ceremonies right right 
Right. Yeah. But in in a political setting, we don't admit to poor any more than we want to admit that we're having a recession. Yeah. Once but you when, that, you, when you characterize when you characterize people in healthcare, you call them poor. That's pervasive, all the time. But it's really used in speeches. Yeah. No, right. it's not a speech, right. but it's used uh, commonplace. And when you talk about hear, healthcare, I, I hear, I hear. Um, this is Democrats and Republicans. I hear okay. middle class all the time. Yeah. And so but that's it, a part. So, so you know, middle class in that instance to me is more aspirational than a category that I can put a number on because I, I know that there are millions of people below that middle class line, but they never, and, and the only reason I ask guys is because I, I know what it is. I know why we do it, you know, <laughs> because, you know, that's a group of middle class is a is a cutoff in terms of folks voting. Folks who below yeah. the line, below that line, don't vote at the same number. So you're speaking to people who you can move. You don't you don't think you can move the folks in that poor category. But in a different time, we had uh, political leaders who actually knew how to pronounce the word poor. I you know I just thought it was one of those words you. That you only pronounce if you had a PhD or, you know, were an engineer like Henry or something. You know, Thank in you. terms of the term middle class, what's interesting yeah. is how how broad the definition. There was once a survey done where people were asked to define their class, and far and away middle class was the most common. But people, the, the folks who applied it to themselves ranged from those who made fifteen thousand dollars a year to those who made a half million a year or more yeah, all, yeah, see, all yeah. say, well, I'm middle class, you know. So it's a yeah, very, very yeah. flexible definition. And and yeah. once in a while you'll hear the phrase lower middle class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm yeah. really curious what the definition for that <laughs> one is. <laughs> I, yeah, I, mean, I have my <laughs> suspicions, Woodrow, but... <laughs> and, and, guys, that's why... <clears throat> Uh, many people in the United States look at um, the capacity of the educated black person as a person that's got an education through affirmative action. They do not meet the standards of everybody else. And that's disheartening because we need to drop that. We earn our way through life like everybody else is. We are equals, not we don't need special attention or special efforts to make us who we are. Well, we can, as as long as I, we're talking about these uh, different word substitutions, um, I'm going to just go ahead and get my bid in that a phrase I'd like to see replaced at some point in the near future is hardworking middle-class uh, Michigan families. 
Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I hear that so often that it just doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah. Anyway, no. we've got to take a short break, and <laughs> hopefully uh, our words will mean something when we return and talk about uh, some of the national things uh, going on, including the Republican National Convention. The first two nights uh, are down. We have tonight and tomorrow. Hello, night. darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Tom Sumner Program is hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hi, ladies and gentlemen, this is Bob Hope back once again to tell you it's better to have Pepsodent flowing over your teeth now than to have water running under your bridge later. 
Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. The Tom Summer Program.com. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now with Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Woodrow Stanley. Uh, vote for President Donald Trump or else. That was the message Republicans sought to convey during the first evening of their renominating convention, despite the ardent insistence from campaign advisors and Trump himself that this week's proceedings would provide an uplifting counterpoint to the gloomy convention they claimed Democrats had staged last week. In a program of mostly pre-recorded speeches, another aspect of the Democrats' convention that Trump had derided, a parade of regulars from the Trump orbit warned of impending socialist doom and violence run rampant. Instead of testifying in any personal capacity to his father's character, Donald Trump Jr. compared Democratic nominee Joe Biden to the Loch Ness Monster. (laughs) A, A... a St. Louis couple who had brandished um, uh, guns at, at Black Lives Matter protesters warned that Democrats wanted to abolish the suburbs and praised Trump for pushing against low-quality apartments in nice neighborhoods. And in particularly eager address, in a uh, particularly eager address from a vacant auditorium in Washington, Trump campaign official Kimberly Galfoyle Galfoyle, uh, very loudly declared Democrats were looking to enslave people to an ideology. Don't both parties try to enslave people to their ideologies? (laughs) If I may speak, if I may speak, um, I am so disgusted with all of the, uh, the derasiveness and division that we're generating through these political speeches. And, and, and when you look at the substance of what people are saying, they're both saying the same thing. They want the same things, and yet we can't merge those two together. They both talk about public safety, about uh, uh, the coronaviruses, about national security. All of that stuff is the same message, about securing the, the, the borders, and yet, Somehow we can't work together. There's, it doesn't make sense at all. We don't talk about what's good about the United States. It's always what's wrong with it. What's wrong with race? What's I, wrong with gender? What's wrong with education? And yet there are some good things out there that we see that are happening, but we won't talk about them. Now, we've had two nights of the Republican convention so far. We still have tonight and tomorrow night to go. We had the four nights of the of the Democrats last week. And something that I uh, ended up doing because of frustration, Henry, over just what you were talking about, I started watching all of the coverage for both parties on C-SPAN. I couldn't take the talking heads 
on CNN mm -hmm. during either the Democrat or the Republican conventions. And so I intentionally went to a system that doesn't use um, talking heads, mm -hmm. you know, that just sets the camera up and lets it roll. And I actually am getting more out of the conventions from that, but I saw a couple of things that I thought worthy of mention. One is that I continue to see on CNN editorial comments by writers and commentators that mm -hmm. often reinforce or sometimes even go beyond what their guests or the person they're quoting is saying. And I, one that comes to mind is they were talking about claims that Trump had made and the commentator not the person being quoted or interviewed but the commentator commentator used the word false claims and I thought to myself who is this person to determine whether it's a false claim or not now yeah. fact check it all you want I'm fine with that but when you're reading a news story you don't insert language like that on the flip side of that, and that was somebody, you know, from CNN and clearly on the left, I went to Fox News and I was stunned to see on the night of a Republican National Convention, Fox News interviewing Jeff Flake about his reasons for not wanting the president to be reelected. Well, that, you know, lately I kind of wonder whether Fox News is sort of pulling away from Trump. I mean, Flake was one example, but there's been a few other examples in the last right. few months that suggest Fox, while still is still Fox News and still conservative, is starting to have some qualms about Trump. Tom, I um, um, I, I, I've noticed that same thing on Fox, uh, MSNBC, and CNN that the the panel um, absolutely makes sure that the line, whatever, you know, the line of the network uh, is prominent uh, in, uh, you know, if it means fact-checking or whatever the case may be. But, but one, one thing I just wanted to, to put out there is that I, I don't know if we're being fair if we refer to the Republican Party as a party anymore. I don't think it's a party. I think it's a cult, and 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 you know, it, it is um, the Trump cult. It's the temple you worship at the temple of Trump. So I, I, I don't know if it's fair. Now I do know that there are folks out there, Henry being one, and there there are folks out there who still uh, um, pledge and belong to. A Republican Party, but in terms of of who runs the party, it is not a party. It's a cult. Trump says, and all these folks who say something different, in a lot of instances, privately, they come out front and they pledge allegiance to Trump. Actually, and, and you know, so I don't, I don't, I don't see the Republican Party in in terms of who's calling the shots as a party anymore in terms of how it formerly was a party. And I think that's a good thing when you have the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. I don't think it's a good thing when you have a cult 
on the one side and you have a party on the other side. Would you say that there's no Republican Party? Who do you think is working with Democrats to establish some kind of sense to the political order in this country? Well, Henry, how many Republican senators, how many representatives, how many speakers that uh, don't necessarily go along with uh, Trump that are Republicans but will join your cause? How many past presidents and so on and so forth? Well, let me I, let, let me get these uh, these next couple stories in because I had a feeling we were going to be headed toward this kind of a conversation about the Republican <laughs> Party versus the Trump Party. Um, okay. White okay, House counselor. No, no, no. You're you're fine, Henry, and and I hope you'll weigh in a lot after we get these set up. White House counselor uh, Kellyanne Conway announced Sunday evening she will leave her post at the end of the month, while her husband, George Conway, said he was withdrawing from the Lincoln Project, both citing a need to wait for it, focus on their family. Um, I will be transitioning from the White House at the end of this month. George is also making changes, Kellyanne Conway said in a statement. George Conway tweeted minutes earlier that he was withdrawing from the Lincoln Project, a group formed by anti-Trump Republicans, to devote more time to family members. Um, and, and instead of asking the question there that I normally would, I'm going to read the next story and then ask both questions, and we'll just open it up. Um, former chairman of the Republican National Committee, Michael Steele, is joining the Lincoln Project, a group of Republicans working to prevent President Donald Trump's re-election. More than two dozen former Republican lawmakers announced Monday they are endorsing Joe Biden for president. Former Senator Jeff Flake of Arizona and former uh, Republican Charlie Dent of Pennsylvania are uh, among those throwing their support behind the Democratic presidential nominee through Republicans for Biden, and the endorsements came on the morning of the first day of the Republican National Convention. Okay, so the questions. Do you think the Conways are expecting the president to lose his re-election bid and the other question is will these republican so-called defectors have any significant impact on the campaign of course uh, every criticism against the president is notable criticism people listen the, particularly people with long lineage and tenure in politics they listen and they're moved by them we don't need any more of that against the president. When you have people in your own party who are pull, yeah. formally organizing to pull out or not support your, your candidate, that certainly can't help the party, no matter how you cut it. Uh, it may be a matter of realignment in some ways, but, I mean, it seems like the Lincoln movement and somewhat similar things, among others, is, is significant, more so this year than most. Do these things have any more weight? You know, last week we were talking about John Kasich uh, speaking at the Democratic Convention and talking about uh, Republicans. In fact, I think they even included sound bites from a number of other Republicans that were supporting uh, Biden. Um, and we were sort of looking at that and saying that won't really have a lot of impact on people. But this other thing is something different. Does this have? Does this carry more weight than a John Kasich speech? speech at the DNC. 
it's 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 hard to it's hard to say. I I think that um, to uh, Paul's point, when, when you have folks who are your team members who or, or your former team members, and they're coming out publicly saying, "I'm going with the other guy." Down the stretch, that doesn't help. But I, I, I think the Kellyanne Conway um, step away to uh, attend to uh, her, her family, and I think it's a legitimate point to attend to your family. But what's going on with her, with her family in terms of her daughter filing papers to declare emancipation and all of this other stuff? I, I think a lot of that stuff was going on behind the scenes. So I. There's something else going on there, and I, that's the one that I think is bears uh, our attention more so than the, the, the uh, re- former Republican office holders. Because my question to them was, I mean, if you really uh, disagreed with with Trump, there's only a handful of them that disagreed when they were in office. Well, I don't know, but things change. People can decide to change. Uh, <laughs> yeah. With the development yeah, they, of uh, they, new positions. They grew, they, they grew some of those things called balls. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that, but I. But I've, I. I do and respect again, the positions. Um, Woodrow, thank you for for you know injecting the. Uh, the backstory on the Conway family because they do have some legitimate family concerns, but, um, but people in these positions always have family concerns, and is it does it seem unusual that they're both stepping down? One that's pro-Trump, one that's anti-Trump, weeks before the election. I, it had it had sort of a smell of rats leaving a sinking ship. I said, I, I, that one is more worrisome than the guys who are out of public office now saying, uh, hey, by the way, I, I, I disagree with this guy also. I mean, if, if, if you're on the, the Democratic side, you welcome those guys down the stretch. But Kellyanne and Conway stepping away at this juncture, uh, and, and she is one of the longest tenured Trump uh, that's troublesome. That's is she troublesome. the only is is she the only campaign survivor at this date? As she may be very well be, but I I, I was uh, taken back about her uh, uh, decision to uh, resign. Um, <clears throat> it concerns me. Yeah, but it, it's time to move it, on. Given the turmoil and, and, and the, the division in her family, I'm, I'm a little surprised it didn't happen earlier. As I think about yeah. it, yeah, yeah. But you know, uh, the thing I think about is this election: the president, whoever wins this election, must win by an overwhelming majority. They must completely crush the other side, so that we can move on. It can't be uh, a. Um, uh, margin of less than yeah. 1%. If we have another two thousand, yeah. we have to wait six yeah. weeks. That could be a yeah. Uh, it can't. Saying, it's got to yeah. be crushed. The other side has to be crushed with all of the anger and stuff like that. Well, and with the this country. with the uncertainty about mail-in voting that's being stirred up by the president and and others, um, 
is is this an election that has to play out in the electoral college? Is that still the law? It's possible. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But as, as Henry says, if there's an overwhelming majority for for one or the other, it, it may not be yeah. an issue. But uh, uh, we'll never know. Fight. We'll if we don't have an overwhelming pushing of the opposite side, we will go through the same process the next four years. My prediction is is that that Trump is going to take a a walloping. Uh, that I, I I just think that. Um, but that's what you said four years ago, Stan. You well, said that. I don't know if I. I hey, look, I don't know if I. Uh, I just discovered that word, so I don't think I said that four years. Ago. <laughs> yes, you did. You said it four years ago. <laughs> but 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 well, uh, hold me to this one, Henry. I'm telling you, he's going to take a walloping. There is nothing that suggests that there is this significant number of folks who are breaking for. You know, you're trying to retell the same, not you, but he's trying to retell the same story. And against the pandemic, you can't lie about almost 200,000 people dying. And now you're saying, but our line is that the president uh, rushed to the scene and he sprung in the action and he took these all of these steps. I mean, and he acknowledged the seriousness. They have all of the tapes, and they're going to run all of these ads with him saying, I don't take responsibility, this is going to fade away, all of this stuff. Uh, you know, as Ann Richards said, stick a fork in him, he's done. <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, though, one thing I'm concerned about is I hope Democrats don't get too overconfident because we were to some degree no, in no, 2016. No. These good polls, I like, it's good to hear them. But I'm a little afraid that it's going to make people complacent. So I think we still need to get the turnout out there. I yeah, agree. and you got to be I, careful I about blaming Trump for the pandemic. That's just like blaming George Bush for Katrina. You know. Yeah, but in uh, both cases, I, I don't think people blamed him for the events. They blamed him for their responses to the events. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. But but I find I find Woodrow's uh, premise about um, the Republican Party now being the Trump cult. Um, <laughs> kind, of a, kind of an interesting one, because well, it is sort of all Trump all the time. And I wonder, when I watch the, um, you know, the, the uh, Republican convention, and, and I'll be watching for this tonight and tomorrow night as well, where the rising stars are in the Republican Party. Where is the party building going on? It, it doesn't seem that the president is interested in building party. He's uh, interested in, in uh, building base. But he's building, them, he's building them on people of color, no matter, including African Americans and all of the others, Native Americans. You don't see that building? And uh, nobody else has done that in the past, and he's making some heroes. We just have to wait for the outcome to see how it shapes up. Well, wasn't there something unusual about the platform? I mean, they, they basically re recycled the old party platform from 16. Right, right. But then didn't they add right. a phrase that whatever Trump wants is okay with us? I mean, I'm kind of being sarcastic with my phrasing there. But something along those lines that basically said, we'll rubber stamp whatever Trump wants. 
It's like those. Uh, uh, I, I heard that reported at least. It's like that last it. line on job descriptions that says, "and all other duties as assigned." Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. True. True. I, you can't make this up, and you can't defend it. It is now a cult. I mean, it's, it's, it is. And the, I don't and believe you're saying that. The Republican Party was a necessary part of the uh, the the. the Political landscape for years and years and years. I, I, you know, I believe in the two-party system, but now with the Republican Party basically, and 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 by the way, with Trump being defeated, that doesn't mean that the cult is automatically defeated. Well, what does it mean? A number of those. If you create a vacuum someplace, something else will fill it. Well, a number of those folks who are now card-carrying members of the the cult will remain card. I mean, it's going to take a while for you guys, Henry, to fumigate uh, the party <laughs> and to install um, folks. And, and, and look, you know, Henry, you know this, that it's not a matter that, that I dislike Republicans. I think it's great to have a healthy... It helps me as a Democratic operative to have healthy Republicans. It doesn't help me as much to have zombies and members of the cult. Yeah. I mean, I like folks who have a healthy discussion internally, because then when you come over and you engage with Democrats, you know, you're better armed. But when you come over and all I see, I mean, uh, the other night when I looked at Donald Trump Jr., and I don't know if you guys saw this, but he looked like uh, one of the folks from the cult. Did you see his eyes? <laughs> oh, that's what you're basically... Yeah, I, I know why you're calling him a cult now, because there was something... Yeah, that, there was uh, a strange was, appearance there. Yeah, that was, was a terrible... Was those were terrible camera shots, because he did look... <laughs> I don't know if they were camera shots. <laughs> Well, it is going to be it is going to be interesting to watch uh, the Republicans. Uh, you know, parties always go into a major rebuilding mode whenever they lose an election. Um, if uh, they, if they Trump, haven't lost yet, well, and and I'm I'm not saying I, that I have any special. Uh, uh, foreshadowing of what's going to happen in November, but when a party loses the White House, a reinvention of the party begins, and it'll be interesting yes. if there is a Trump defeat to see if traditional Republicans will emerge and take the party back and build the party the way that it, that it used to be. Well, and what's going to guide that is the Republican Party platform, which does not change over time. The Democrat and Republican pat, uh, platforms are still as basic as they were 50 years ago. No, 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 no. Henry, uh, absolutely. And, and, and please, Paul, help me on this. But, but no, that, that is not the case. The, the platform it, it, it changes. It changes yeah. because the, the political environment. How would a platform that was adopted when Roosevelt was president be uh, 
in, in keeping with the political environment and climate today. Well, and that's support the end. The it means that the delegates will support the chosen person of as president that they've chosen as president. Well, that's that's a procedure. That's not necessarily part of a platform, and part of the reason for political conventions but it's stated in the is to tweak the platform every four years but yeah. we have right. to take a break and uh sorry we have to end it there but uh we'll be back with uh this week's edition of the x-files on the tom sumner program hey <laughs> this is the unknown comic and guess what you're listening to the tom sumner show right now and now and now too and even now The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. They say singing can help you remember things, so here's some tips for parents out there during these tough times. Make sure your kids wash their hands for 20 seconds after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside. Virtual playdates, social and physical distancing can help save lives. Tell them they're safe and show your love and pride. Yes, we'll get through this together. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the Briggs. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write us at TomSumnerProgram.com. Call us at at 810-339-8255 or contact us on Facebook or Twitter. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner program where to go. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular 
doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. It may cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy. And it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we move into the uh, X-Files portion of today's edition of Armchair Politics. Residents of a Swiss town got a bit of a shock when it started snowing particles of a fine cocoa powder after the ventilation system at a chocolate factory malfunctioned. The Lind and Springley Company confirmed local reports Tuesday that there was a minor defect in the cooling ventilation for a line for roasted cocoa nibs in its factory in Olten between Zurich and Basel. The, um, the nibs, fragments of uh, crushed cocoa beans are the basis of chocolate. Combined with strong winds on Friday morning, the powder spread around the immediate vicinity of the factory, leaving a fine cocoa dusting. The company says one car was lightly coated and that it has offered to pay for any cleaning needed but hasn't yet been taken up on the offer. Factory production was able to continue as normal and the company says the particles were completely harmless to people or the environment. The ventilation system has now been repaired. Would a, get, uh, would a good headline for this story be Swiss Miss? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, here's one that, uh, that I thought was uh, interesting. Uh, cops on the Isle of Wight off the south coast of England launched a tongue-in-cheek appeal to find two young goats or kids caught on camera clamoring over a police car according to multiple news outlets. The, the kids jumped onto the roof of the vehicle on Tuesday as officers 
we're dealing with, wait for it, the discovery of an unexploded mortar shell dating from Ooh. World War II in a field outside the town of Newport. A couple mm. of goats, or kids, caused damage to one of our police vehicles, tweeted police. If you recognize the offenders from the photo, please let us know. Police later shared video to Facebook. Um, but here's, here's the question. Are, are you as curious as I am that the explosives team was detonating a shell from World War II and it was the two goats on the roof of a police car that got the media attention? That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> something, something not quite right about that. Yeah. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> well, also, it showed that the kids were smarter than a policeman because they got out of the way and went off. That's right. You know, that's kind of like, uh, you know, when you're driving down the expressway and you see the police have somebody pulled over, so you speed up a little bit because, you know, they're not going to come after you. Um, if you know that yeah. they're working on detonating a shell, it's a pretty good, pretty good bet they're not going to interrupt their work to <laughs> chase a couple goats. <laughs> yeah, to, to come get the goats off the car. Well, it's a living nightmare, but a socially distanced one. Zombies attack vehicles, smearing them with artificial blood, but the customers inside the cars are safely separated from their stalkers by the windows. Production company Kawagarasetti, roughly translated as Scare Squad, has launched a drive-through haunted house in Tokyo in response to the coronavirus pandemic. We have started this drive-in because we cannot get close to customers at a traditional haunted house because of the virus, explains a cast member. But the distance between customers and cast has actually gotten shorter since there is only a window between them, he said. Unlike a traditional haunted house where guests can flee if frightened, customers are confined to their cars and cannot escape the horrors during the 13-minute <laughs> performance. With no actual contact between the audience and performers, the risk of transmitting uh, the virus is virtually eliminated. And of course, inside their cars, customers can scream as loudly as they like. Once the horror is over, instead of eating brains, these helpful zombies actually clean the blood off the cars they attacked just minutes earlier. <laughs> Do you think drive-in haunted houses will catch on in the U.S. this Halloween? <laughs> it's kind of an interesting know. idea. I'm not so sure. Although we've had a lot of other drive-in things. Didn't, didn't someplace, maybe it was New Orleans, have a drive-in strip show of some kind? I'm not sure where. Maybe, maybe it was Lolita, Las Vegas, and New Orleans, I think. I saw a story to that effect. Uh, that's a toss-up, but it sounds more Vegasy to me. Yeah, maybe more Vegas. I've forgotten where I saw the story. Well, anyway, that wraps it up for uh, the X-Files portion of uh, today's edition of Armchair Politics. And I, and I purposely kind of rushed through because I wanted to leave these final minutes for any wrap-up um, that anybody... I have a little bit have. I want to wrap up real quickly. Sure. Uh, I, I want to go back to the platform committee. The platform committee is as immutable as the Constitution. But what happens is that the rules committee changes things. It's like a 
amendments. They can do anything they want to. But those are directives uh, for people to follow. And if you change them all the time, the uh, the parties and their beliefs and statements would be all over the road. Uh, know, in terms of the platform, Henry, one thing I've, I've, I have understand about the Republican one this year is they, re, they, picked up, they just recycled the 2016 platform. Yeah. But my understanding is there are phrases in there that denounce, quote, the current administration. I mean, there's an attempt to you know, take a shot at Obama. Yeah. But those phrases are still in the existing platform to denounce the current administration, which is not exactly a good move when you're here. <laughs> you are the no, current that, administration. No, those are not. The, these are, they should be, the platform should be the behavior, how you conduct yourself, what you believe in, yeah. what your values are, not sure. all of the other pop. But that does, stuff. but that, that does change over time uh, for both parties. They, they right. tweak them and update them. That's sure. part of what the, the convention does yeah. is, uh, brings their platform up to date. They they may yeah. still follow the same guidelines and the same rules for same adopting. Same guidelines, yeah. But but as far as the uh, the actual platform, and the way I know that is that the Republican Party today is a very different party than my dad's Republican Party. Oh yeah. Well, they had to yeah. change some things because that's sure. why we're growing as a country and we're shifting. The, the platform is what guides you, and um, mm-hmm. like and Wood said, I mean, that there. Well, thanks. And, and what I want to say, um, you are one of the few people that I respect as a past leader, and I say this from period. But I have to, I have to disagree with you on some things. But I still. Well, I understand. It. Just, but it, for just uh, in uh, a request, please don't use the word. Affirmative action. Higher. I don't. Uh, you know what? You know uh, please, what? Please, I don't want to be considered a affirmative action person. I want to be considered as being right, educated agree, on my own, but my own, but in this, not for somebody give me. In this, in this environment, there are folks who are using that term to describe the Democratic Party's DC. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I yeah. just, I just, yeah, I push back okay. against that because I'll, I'll, okay. I'll say the right. Democratic Party from being okay. characterized right. as that. Okay, right, right. But I okay. want you to know that that exists, and some of us reject it. I, 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 hey, look, affirmative action has existed far longer uh, than it was applied to black people. Affirmative <laughs> action for years did not apply to black people. Yeah. Now, yeah. now the rest of the panel will understand where we're going with this. <laughs> there are two sides of it. Well, we're we're almost out of time, but uh, Paul, have you got about thirty seconds on what we can expect tonight and tomorrow from the Republicans? I, I think we're going to see more of of uh, kind of trying to redefine who Trump is, and I think we're going to see more of the uh, the suggestion that Democrats are going to bring the end of the world if somehow they win the election. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you think we're going to see more Trump good, Biden bad? Oh, I think so. I think so. And, and I, what's, I think what's worth watching is to see whether or not Trump sticks to the script. 
I mean, he's when when he's when he's reading a teleprompter, he can stay stick in a script. But then, twenty four hours later, he starts tweeting or rambling on, and the, he undoes whatever yeah. he says on a teleprompter. And it's worth watching to see what happens with regard to that. Well, we'll be but watching see, that and a lot more over uh, the rest of this week and into next week for our next edition of Armchair Politics. Thank you to uh, everybody, Henry. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. I'm glad you said that. Henry Hatter and uh, Paul Rosicki. Paul, thank Great you. To be here. Um, those Great are to be our, here as usual. Thank you, Paul. Those are our roundtable. Stanley, thank you. But thank you. Those are our roundtable regulars, and of course, Woodrow Stanley is always a treat when he joins us uh, for this weekly roundtable. Anyway, that's Smoking George hey, Winters. Take care, Wood. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.